on? There we go. Thank you, my brother. Um, I'm so glad I was able to come in. Um, I, th I think I got here. I don't know what day I got here. I've been traveling a lot. But I had time with some of the folks in your fellowship yesterday, and it just, it prepared my heart for today. Because, you know, just because we do something in the name of the Lord and in the strength of the Lord doesn't mean that we can just ride that out. We need to consistently be at his feet asking him for more. So I want to thank you guys that came out yesterday to encourage me to keep pressing on through this. And I love that uh, Pastor is, is reading uh, that book on uh, Soul Keeper, I think he, he called it. And, and I, I love that in the New Testament, when we look up the word soul uh, in the Greek, it's, it's suke or psyche, and it's where our, our emotions, our thoughts are, but what's really awesome about that is, is God's word says in Hebrews 4.12 that his word that's alive and powerful cuts even through the, the soul and the spirit so that we understand what is emotion and what is him, and we need that, Amen. So Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the true and living God. There is no one like our God. We bow before you in humble adoration. Thank you that we get to do that through singing, through prayer, and we pray that now, through this service, it would be a continual bowing before you, Lord God, that you might be glorified. So fill each of us with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to proclaim your truth, and fill my brothers and sisters here with your Holy Spirit to receive that truth. All honor and glory go to you, Father, and we're praying this in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, to the glory of you, Father, because you and you alone are God. Amen. 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 So um, before I share a little bit of my testimony and then how we can better get to know and therefore minister to the LGBT community with, with love and mercy and grace and truth, um, I want to ask you guys a question. I'm a big question asker, and I, I love that because Jesus was a big question asker too, right? Hey, Mr. Pharisee man, yeah, that donkey falls into a pit on a Sabbath day. What are you going to do, right? How do they answer that? Because if, if they leave it there, then the proverb says a righteous man takes care of his animals, and if they pull it out, then they're being hip hypocrites saying that they're working on the Sabbath just like he was when he was healing. So, um, I love asking questions, so I'm going to bring a question before you guys and ask you, do, do you know what generally people, even people outside of the church that use this chapter when they get married or whatever, outside of the Lord's, um, not outside of his will, but outside of acknowledging him in their life, they still use this chapter oftentimes for the wedding because the world calls it, 1 Corinthians 13 is the what chapter? The love chapter, amen. So, but have you ever noticed that it starts off a little bit on a negative? It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Oh Lord, help us with that. Now let me ask you another question. Do you believe every word in the Bible to be true, the inerrant word of God, everything he says to us in his word is true? Yes. Amen, so do I, look at that. We're all on the same page, that's amazing. Well, if we believe that, then we have to believe verse eight of that same chapter that says, love never fails. 
And if love never fails, can we live that out loving people who might think differently, act differently, or look differently than us? Can we love them right where they are trusting God will do the rest? Because if love never fails, that's pretty easy. All we have to do is love. The rest is up to him and he is quite capable of meeting that person where they are through our love representing him to them. Amen? Woo, I love it. (laughs) This is just a tiny bit of my testimony. If you want to hear my full nitty gritty, all the joys and the sorrows of my full testimony, you can go to my ministry website, which is outofegyptministries.org. There are cards and actually a couple hands out back near where Solomon is. Um, it's a, um, just a QR code. So if you see that the actual cards are running out, just take a picture of that QR code and you'll have the website available there. And you, you can just go to media and I have about 20 different messages um, in various places on my website. But I'm gonna share a little bit about my testimony today so you know that experientially, I get it. I get it when it comes to the LGBTQ plus identity and um, experiences. So when I was a child growing up, um, I lived in a neighborhood with all boys, which was great for me. That worked really well for me because I actually thought I was a boy. Not in a tomboy kind of way, not just because I was good at sports, not just because I looked, walked, and talked just like the other boys in my neighborhood, every thought that went through my head, I thought was going through the thought in the brain of a boy. So when I came to the age to recognize that even though I thought through my brain that I was a boy, my body was telling me something else. I don't exactly know what age that was, but it may be like four or five, probably before five years old. And so I didn't know what to do with this. I hated my body because of that. I started a hatred toward my body at this age. (laughs) Whatever, can you see it over there? Whoop, this age. I don't know what age that was because a lot of my memories from childhood um, have been buried deep inside me, but praise God, through the years, he's been bringing those memories up because with those memories comes knowledge and with comes knowledge comes wisdom. And with that wisdom, I know what to do with all this stuff, bringing it to him. So I didn't know how to deal with this hatred that I had toward my body, so I started to injure myself repeatedly not just every day, but throughout the day at five years old. I began to uh, mar this girl body that seemed to be lying to me. I felt gypped and trapped and and useless in this girl body. Like, how do you manage this body with all the the thoughts and the feelings of, of being with a boy? So I just, the only thing I could think of to do was mar it. And there was more reasons for that, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Then, as I got a little bit older, I realized I had same-sex attraction. I didn't realize at five years old I was attracted to the same sex, but if you would have asked me back in the life when I identified as gay, I would have told you I knew at five years old I was gay. I didn't know how to tie my shoes, but with my adult mind looking back into my childhood, my adult mind is like, oh, you knew at five years old you were gay. I didn't. 
I didn't even have the, the right hormones within my body to know sexual identity. But what was happening is there was some very traumatic things happening to me at five years old. So when I became an adult and looked back at it, I used my adult rationale to say, oh, it must have been at five I knew I was gay. So moving on to when I actually did hit puberty and the sexual arousals started to come, that's when I realized I had same-sex attraction. And I wanted to date girls, but back then I couldn't because of the, or I chose not to because of the abusive ridicule I would have gotten back then. So I just didn't date anybody. And because of this, it caused me to be severely isolated and alone. I didn't talk to anybody. I mean, it was pretty obvious what I was experiencing with my gender. My mom took me to the doctor when I was eight years old, so that was um, 1974, and saying, my daughter doesn't, I, I don't know what to do with my daughter. She thinks she's a boy. What do I do? Well, doctors weren't talking about that back then. So he's just like, well, you know what? Leave her alone. She'll grow out of it, and she'll make a fine wife someday. Well, statistically, he was actually right because we know statistically now children that have gender confusion, if, if, they, if their parents just let them ride it out, don't encourage or discourage and certainly don't put them on puberty blockers, up to 90% of those kids that had that gender confusion, when they make it their way on the other side of puberty, they no longer struggle with the, the deep struggles that they have with that. But that was not my case. I still had gender confusion for many, many years that actually led to gender dysphoria. So I didn't talk to anybody about all that I was experiencing. I didn't talk to my parents because uh, I just didn't simply didn't trust them. Didn't really have friends to talk to about it. And I didn't have the internet. Thank God I didn't have the internet. Because if I would have typed in, how do you know you're gay or how do you know you're transgender, which wasn't a word back then, it was transsexual, a whole plethora of information would have come up, but 90 plus percent of it would have been lies. But you know what? I would have believed each and every one of them because those lies would have acknowledged what I was feeling. So therefore, I would have thought it was true because I didn't know that there was a word of God that could cut through the division of the soul and the spirit, the emotions and the truth. I didn't know that, nobody was telling me that. And I'm not putting my parents down for that, nobody told them either. I just simply wasn't raised in a Christian home. We went to Christmas and Easter services and that was about it. So because I was so isolated and alone, I didn't know what to do to alleviate this confusion and this pain that I was experiencing. So at 12 years old, I started drinking and doing drugs. 12 years old. 12 years old is also significant because that's the same age I was when the sexual abuse finally stopped. I didn't know what to do with the absence of the sexual abuse. I was so thankful it stopped. But you need to hear this. It was also very strange that it wasn't there anymore. So I didn't know what to do with that. So I, the only way I could think of to alleviate the pain was drinking and drugs, and I took massive, massive amounts of drugs and alcohol. And so I was 
a drug-addicted alcoholic by the time I was 14. My sister, who's 15 years older than me, lived with, I grew up in New York. I'm a Yankees fan, don't kill me. <laughs> Did they win last night? Yes, yes, two people watched the game. Awesome. <laughs> Bostonians. Thank you, I'm thankful for you guys. You have a beautiful, beautiful, rich in history city here, and I pray God will use it in you for his glory. So, um, my sister brought me out of New York and moved me to Florida with her and her family, and it was shortly after being there that I went to a party with her and friends her age. And that wasn't strange for me, I was a partier, but what was different is at this party is that a guy actually asked me out on a date. And I'm like, what in the world? No guy has ever asked me out on a date before. Now, I had been sexually active in the sense that when I was 14 and 15 and 16 years old, now addicted to drugs, I didn't have the money to buy these drugs. So when I went to these parties, still in New York with people much older than me, there was an exchange. Me for that man's drugs. So even though I said the sexual abuse stopped at 12 years old, the sexual abuse with this particular person stopped at 12, but when I was at these parties as a 14-year-old and a 35-year-old man was giving me cocaine, his cocaine for my body, that was still sexual abuse. But I didn't realize it was because I thought I was in control. So at this party, when this guy asked me out on a date, I, I said yes, which was very strange to me because I wasn't attracted to men, but what I was attracted to was the fact that he looked me in the eyes and said hi and didn't want anything right there on the spot. So I was like, wow, somebody sees me. And so I'm like, you know what? I, I, I will go out with you. And then I thought, oh, maybe this is a two for one. Maybe if I go out with this guy, it'll take away my same-sex attraction and my gender confusion because I did not want it. I didn't want, I didn't want anything that I was experiencing in my life. I didn't want any of that. But I didn't know what redemption was because I didn't know who he was. Nobody told me. So I ended that relationship after some time, after I endured severe physical abuse from him. Um, I ended that relationship and moved back up north to New Jersey. And when I moved to New Jersey is when I finally came out and started identifying as gay. And for the first time in my life, I actually started to identify in the masculine. And it, when I started to identify in the masculine, I actually experienced relief for the first time in my life. And that relief was real to me and I needed relief. I was holding my breath, it seems like, for years. So I felt freedom for the first time in my life, free to, to act out on these guttural desires that I'd pushed down for as long as I could remember. But just because I felt free doesn't mean I was free. I was experiencing freedom in my emotions, but not freedom in Christ. And so I was actually going even deeper into deception, and that's how deception works. Deception doesn't feel bad. If we all knew we were being deceived, we wouldn't walk on, in that. Deception comes knocking at our front door, and we open it. It tells us in Genesis, sin lies at the door and it waits for you. But we open sin often comes through deception. Sometimes we just sin because we want to, but sometimes we sin because we're being deceived. And so that deception comes knocking on your front door and you open it up and it's not this slimy creature with blood dripping from his fans and a pitchfork and you're like, oh, I've been waiting for you. Please come in. 
that's not how it works. Deception is knocking on our front door and when we open it, deception looks like the very thing we need, so then we invite it in. And that's what I was doing time after time after time in my life. So now I was in my 20s and actively involved in the gay community and over the years I dated many women and then I eventually met the woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And I never loved anyone like I loved her. I felt like she completed all the parts of me that were lacking. She was the only person in the world that I actually trusted. She was the only one who never hurt me. So my desire was to give her my whole heart and I thought I did, but what I didn't realize is there was a part of my heart that I could never give her. It was a part of my heart that had been damaged by the way other people had treated me and by the way I had chosen to live thereof. The way I was choosing to live was continuing to damage my heart even though the way I was choosing to live made sense. It's understandable, very understandable but this part of my heart that I didn't realize I couldn't give her, it was a part that was dead and it was dead from sin. And she couldn't have it, she couldn't touch it and she couldn't fill it, but God could and God did because he is an everlasting God full of mercy and truth and strength and power to meet us exactly where we are, wherever we are because there's nowhere we can flee from his presence. So in December of 2002, God met me and her in our bedroom when I rolled over and looked her in the eye, laying in bed, and I just said, babe, do you ever think the way we're living is wrong? And her eyes got huge, so I'm like, well, that was, that was not, I should not have done that. But instead, she's like, I can't believe you just asked me that. I was literally just getting ready to ask you the same thing. You guys tell me that's not the Holy Spirit all up inside our lesbian bedroom that day because there's no place you can flee from God's presence and there's no place he won't make himself known to you because he's that good and he's that full of a desire to redeem so that none will be lost. That's who our God is. Yes, so God answered us of, of when we asked if the way we were living was wrong, he answered us by taking us to his holy word in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was no escaping it. So then in January of 2003, I came to fully believe that Jesus was my Lord and Savior and I surrendered everything to him, including my sexual identity, my gender identity, and my girlfriend. I now had a new identity in Christ Jesus. And I realized that God loved me in no way that any person ever, ever could. And the more I grew to understand that, the less I needed to be someone else's everything and the less I needed them to be my everything because I was his everything. I was his everything so much so that he went to the cross to die for me. That's how much he loved me so that I could live in him. And living in him means giving him everything. That's where the true freedom lies. So while I had this new identity in Christ and was living this abundant life in him, I still had struggles. Don't you? Yes. <laughs> yes. But everything I struggled with, I brought 
to the Lord in prayer. So instead of asking God to take away my same-sex attraction, I asked him where it came from. Where was its origin, God? I've read through your word quite a few times now. I devoured the word of God when I got saved. So I was, I was in truth here and I was in truth in prayer because the Lord speaks to us in prayer and everything that he said to me in prayer, I made sure I confirmed it in his word. And so I asked him where it came from, where was its origin, and I need you to hear this. Sometimes you have to look backwards to move forwards. You don't dwell there, but you have to give a little look-see. You have to look backwards to be able to move forward and that's what I was doing. And so with that, I was growing in my relationship with the Lord and he began to reveal how much that sexual trauma had damaged me. He began to show me the effect that continual verbal abuse that I heard from my father toward my mother made me think that women were lesser thans and I didn't want to be a lesser than. I already had confusion but I didn't identify with my mom because when my dad was standing over her calling her stupid, crazy, and, and worthless, and nuts, I'm like, well, my two choices are either to believe that, and mom is stupid, worthless, and crazy, or to not believe it, which makes my dad a liar. Those are really two uh, horrible decisions to make as a child. So I just chose to separate from my mom and all things feminine. And the Lord began to show me that, that I had to look back to be able to move forward. And so the Lord took me on a journey and allowed me to see how the tracks or footsteps of my childhood pain put me on a track of deception. And if you don't recognize how your past steps were off the path, you won't realize why you're not on the right path now. So I asked him if I was born gay and he clearly showed me that I wasn't, nor was anyone. The Lord is intentional with his creation and his intentions are good. He created us male and female with a specific intention to bring forth more life created in his image, which brings him glory. So I don't believe we are created gay. I don't believe we have a, a sexual orientation. The word orientation within itself indicates that it can be moved and changed and it can't. God is immovable and his boundaries and his creation within us are immovable too. We can try to move them, but that's deception. <laughs> Sex and sexuality is an, is an identity, not an orientation. So as, as, as I was asking God where my same-sex attraction came from, he began to show me how my perception of certain events in my childhood along with the truth of it led me to be deceived, especially in my attractions. So my perception led to deception, but God was showing me how to walk in his truth instead because truth brings life even when it cuts us. But Jesus, when his word cuts us, he's the healing balm that covers the, um, the wound, we'll say, of the truth of his word. Jesus is the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, when he's praying for us, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So God's word is clear and the enemy of our souls is continuing to hit us hard with deception just like he did in the garden. But we have to be a people of truth 
We have to bring this truth to people because they won't get it anywhere else. Youth more than ever want the truth now. They know the whole world, social media and all of that is lying to them. They know it. I was just a couple weeks ago in Tennessee teaching through all these different schools and when I was with the eighth grade girls, I asked them, how many of you guys think everything that you see on your phone when you're scrolling through is a lie? Or fake, I think I said. Every single one of them raised their hands. I'm like, all right, put your hands down. Now raise your hands if you watch it anyways. Every single one of their hands went right back up. They don't know what to do. They were born. The iPhone came out in 2007, and since the iPhone came out, there's been a 3,000% increase in youth that identify as LGBT. Because they have that, ugh, that phone in their hands. So we have to give them the truth. Even though they might not want to hear it, that's not our business, whether they hear it and, well, we can give it to them hearing-wise, but whether they believe it or not is God's business. The Lord has very specific intentions for sex and sexuality. Sex is amazing within his intentions. Otherwise, it's hurtful and damaging regardless of how physically and emotionally good it feels. And that's not an easy truth to convey to someone who doesn't know the Lord or agree with his good intentions concerning sex. So what do we do with that? How do we convey truth to people that are far from the Lord because they cannot reconcile their very, very real sexual feelings to what the word of God says about sexuality? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time, every chance you get. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Ask God for wisdom. I ask him for that every day and I ask him when I'm, just so you know, if we're talking afterwards while you're talking, I'm praying. And I'm asking God for wisdom on how to relate to you in our conversation and I'm asking him for every spiritual gift that will be necessary to talk to you. And we can do that. God's spirits, I mean his spiritual gifts are very active, you guys. Pray for them. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 reminds us, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Why? If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. So here it is. What do we do? We don't quarrel. We're gentle, we're, gentle, we're patient, we're humble. And then what does God do? he just might choose to grant repentance so that they may know the truth. Colossians, grace, 2 Timothy, truth. So that they may know the truth and that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is a spiritual battle. And how do we fight spiritual battles? On our knees, these two verses have speak of both grace and truth. And this is what, I love this. Warren Wearsby says this. Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. My prayer for us as the body of Christ is that we face these intense personal and cultural issues with both grace and 
truth. We need to understand where people with same-sex attraction or a gay identity are coming from and what they're dealing with personally beyond their sexuality because there's a lot more to a person than their sexual identity. So where do we start? How do we minister to people that identify as gay or, or trans or, or any part of that? Well, we talk about it. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for having us here today, uh, all of us here today to talk about this. We talk about sex and sexuality. We don't run from it and we don't hide from it. It's at our front door. We have to take our heads out of the sand and minister in the culture God has chosen to, to bring us to through our times and boundaries of when he chose us to be born, as it says in Acts 17, I think. And so he's gonna equip us for that. So we, you know, we see that there's an incredible um, push within the culture and the, the outside community for all things LGBT. But God uses that for good because now the church has no choice but to talk about it. You see how God works everything out for the good? Now we're going to be better equipped. And if we're better equipped, that means more people from the LGBT community are going to hear about Jesus which is what the Lord wants because he loves the LGBT community. We need to admit that we've done things wrong and apologize and ask the Lord to give us his heart for the gay community and for those within our churches that have unwanted same-sex attraction because our churches are loaded with people with un unwanted same-sex attraction that are too afraid to talk about it. So there's a lot I want to cover, but I just want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk just briefly what it's like to be gay, what uh, a common root is issue of, of a gay identity is, and, and how do we minister to that, and what are some things to say and not to say. And it's pretty simple stuff, but what you're not going to hear is an ABC to-do list that'll make someone from the gay community all of a sudden repent and believe. Remember, if God perhaps will grant us repentance, we're called to love and humility with grace and truth. So oftentimes when, when I go to churches, you know, the pastor will advertise it, kind of blow it out on social media or whatever. And oftentimes pastor will say, I, I don't know if, if, even if this was put out on social media or not. Um, so I'm not, not slamming your pastor, but, but oftentimes the pastors will say, come here about those who, uh, you wanna learn about those who struggle with same-sex attraction? Come out and hear Patty speak. And I just wanna let you know that um, people who identify as gay don't struggle with their same-sex attraction. I didn't, I embraced it. It was part of who I was. It wasn't something I was trying to get rid of. It was my identity. And, and gay people will tell you the same thing. It's their identity. So, so what's it like to have that identity? Well, as I briefly shared, it's something that you've had for pretty much as long as, as you remember. So you feel like it's a part of who you are, like your eye color. And the identity is normal because it's all someone's known as a person, as in their thoughts and all, all they've ever generally ever felt as a physical or sexual desire. So they don't feel different than other people just because their desires are towards the same sex. It's their identity, not their struggle. So when they hear people say, people who struggle with homosexuality, it's often very offensive. They don't struggle with it. It's who they believe to be. It's their personhood. And so this is for you, my friend. 
my young lady friend there, and that's why you should never say, love the sinner, but hate the sin. To them, there's no separation of the two. They are what we call their sin. So who they are or their personhood, their identity is what we call their sin when we say hate the sin. So what they hear in that statement is something like, well, you hate what you call my sin, which is who I am, so you must hate me too. So please take that out of your vocabulary if you use it. It's very offensive and extremely impersonal and people are more than a quick quip. They're people with a story, with a life. So while we know that homosexual behavior is sinful, they don't see it as such. So saying this isn't going to all of a sudden make them believe and and repent and change their ways. (laughs) It's gonna make them think you hate them. It builds walls, it doesn't open doors. And we want to build love. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, which means builds up. And yet there are some in our church who actually do struggle with same-sex attraction, and they would call that a struggle themselves. These are usually people that sit next to us every week in church, and we have no idea of their struggle because they're afraid to tell anyone. And I'm gonna tell you why they're afraid to tell anyone. It's one word, and it's the most common root issue, and I don't even like saying it that way, but I don't know how else to say it, root issue. It's the most common root issue that there is, and it's rejection. There are a lot of similarities to people who uh, have same-sex attraction or identify as gay, but the one thing that in my experience, even before I I came out as a Christian, the biggest, the most cornerstone, like the foundational root issues or the common root issues that form a foundation, the cornerstone is rejection. Whether real or perceived. And even if it's perceived, it feels real to the person that's perceiving it that way. So if you're ministering to someone in your church with same-sex attraction or you have a friend who identifies as, as gays, please do as gay, please do everything you can to keep your plans to, with them. They need to know that they can trust you and count on you to be there. Don't say, yeah, 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 we'll do lunch. What day? Okay, Thursday. And then Wednesday night or Thursday morning, be like, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, kids need a bath or I gotta do lawn, well, probably not here, lawn work. You know, whatever, whatever it would be. Don't do that because they're gonna feel lesser than, like everything and everyone else is more important than you, just like they've felt throughout their life. They're gonna receive that as rejection and they're probably not gonna wanna do anything with you anymore. So you have to be trustworthy with your words and with your commitments. And one of the best ways to minister to people is to be available. Just be available. Being available is more important than knowing what to say, especially for someone with rejection issues. Being available is more important than knowing what to say. Then once you're with them, once you're actually there and available, God will give you the words to say to them. And yet he might just have you sit there and listen. Let them share their story without trying to fix them. Please, I say this to my friends, for the love of Pete. I don't know who Pete is, but I've heard that my whole life. For the love of Pete, please stop trying to fix people. You don't have the power. Only God does. 
Fixing is the Lord's doing. Your job is just being there, and that's important. Being available is probably in the uh, beginning of your relationship. Being available is the most important part of your relationship. And what are some ways to be available? Listen to this. Being available does not mean you have to have time. None of us have time. Being available just simply means being available. Being available means inviting someone over when your house is in chaos. There's 45 days worth of dishes in your sink. The kids have had the same clothes on for days and cereal stuck in their hair. And you, you have a gazillion things to do. You invite that lady at the church that's um, admittedly say she has unwanted same-sex attraction or she's come out of the life and wants to have relationship with those in the church, you invite her over when everything is in chaos in your home. Guys, the same thing. Invite those men over when you're at home or you need to go to the, the, the store or you're going out for a run or whatever it is you do and you don't... Do, do you guys have yards? And st- is everybody here from the city? <laughs> and like whatever, if you have yard work, invite them over, say, listen, I'm gonna mow the lawn, you do the edging, and then we're gonna hang out and, and you know, have some iced tea together or whatever it might be. You find the way, you know what your life is. Invite those men over. Every bit of time you spend with them will bring healing to the rejected heart. Oh, I actually should probably take a sip of this. I'm very thirsty. Thank you, Holy Spirit. (laughs) See how good God is? And then while you're together, talk about what the Lord has been showing you in your own personal devotions. Show them or explain to them how much joy you have in the Lord or how the Lord convicted you and sliced and diced you in the word of God that morning with his word. And if you aren't being sliced and diced in his word every day, you haven't spent enough time in his word. You don't have to be a biblical scholar and you don't have to have the answers as to why they have same-sex attraction or why they think they were born gay You don't have the answers to that. I live the life and I don't have the answers to that. God is showing me some very personal things in my own life, but my life is different than other people's lives. So many people I've ministered to that that are or were part of the church tell me over and over again that they just wish someone from the church would have spent time with them. Many, many people in the gay community grew up in the church. And then when they expressed they had same-sex attraction or whatever it was, in youth group or whatever it might be, they felt rejected because the church didn't know how to minister to them. The church was trying to fix them instead of meet them right where they are and let the Lord minister to them. Then if there's someone that have, has come out of their uh, gay identifying or trans or bi identifying life and they've come to the church and they've left behind the friends that they used to hang out with and they come to the church, the ones that end up going back into the LGBT community, they're not going back because they miss the sex. They're going back because they miss the community because nobody here is hanging out with them, especially, and listen, not every woman that identifies as a lesbian is butchy and not every guy that identifies as gay, as gay is, is femme. But the ones, the girls that are a little more butchy and the guys that are a little more femme are the ones that have an even difficult, more difficult time making friends in the church. 
Because the women are like, well, what if she becomes attracted to me? And the guys are like, what if he becomes attracted to me? Or what if, what if he takes my hug as, as an advancement towards him? Listen, people that have been um, in same-sex relationships sexually, they need to know what it's like to be touched by the same sex without it being sexual. And who's going to do that if not you? The more touch, the more godly touch, the more godly embrace, the better. Even if they have a, a, a time of being attracted to you, God will work that out. You stay the course. It will minister to them. And if you have someone like that in your life, please don't push sanctification that's God's job, not yours. You just be available and you encourage them in the truth. But what do we do with our LGBT friends outside of the church? How do we love our gay neighbor, our gay coworker? First and foremost, foremost, love them right where they are and love them for who they are. They are a people created in God's image and he loves them. And again, we are not called to fix people, nor can we. People, listen to this, people don't need to be fixed. They need to be redeemed. And only God can bring that redemption. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are the ones that are to have the joy of the Lord, even in our times of sorrow. 2020 was a hard year, right? But I, I, I mean, praise God, I still had the joy of the Lord because I was his no matter what comes. The Lord called me to retire after a 25 year career as a flight attendant. He had me fill out my paperwork in January of 2020 so that it was all filed and I, my last day as, as a flight attendant was March 31st, 2020. So I lost the most amazing health insurance anybody could ever have, and I had zero health insurance when there was a global health pandemic. And I did this because the Lord was calling me to, he was calling me to even more churches than before. And then the whole, all the churches closed down, and I was like, well, I didn't, you know, actually I had joy because you knew, what, the way I looked at it, I'm like, because I knew that I knew that I knew God called me to this at this timing. I was excited because I'm like, this has to be a God story and it was because I learned how to do Instagram live <laughs> I was that person at the end at, at the live with with my iPad there with my nose up on the screen now what do I hit you know what button do I touch it was crazy but God used it for his glory and there was way more people that heard the truth of who he is than there ever would have been if I was going from church to church God is good, and so we can have joy in all things, knowing that he is sovereign over all things. So what do we do with our gay neighbors, gay coworkers? We invite them over to dinner. We invite them into our lives so that they can see we're not perfect because the outside world thinks we think that we are, and we need to prove to them by spending time with them that we're not. We're far from it. But you want to know what perfection is? Colossians tells us what perfection is. The bond of perfection is love. It tells us that, I think, in Colossians chapter four, three or four. The bond of perfection is love. 
And so get to know them, ask them about their families, their likes and their dislikes, what movies and music they enjoy. Treat them like any other neighbor or coworker that you have. And there's no difference between them and other neighbors and coworkers. Jesus is Jesus. The gospel is the gospel, whether you're gay or straight. There's no separation of gay or straight. They're saved or unsaved. People are either living under Adam or in Christ. That's it. So after you build a relationship with them, share the gospel with them the same way you would anybody else. Don't let the fact that they're gay intimidate you into sharing the gospel in a different way. They'll know. And then they're gonna think that they're just your agenda. And nobody is an agenda. And then as you share life together, pray with them more intimately because now you know them better. And don't do that just because they're gay. Do that with everybody in your life. The more you get to know somebody, the more intimately we engage with people, the more we can pray for them more intimately. And the more I don't understand prayer, I get it and I don't, it's enigma. But the more we pray, the more God does things. I don't know. But it's pretty awesome that he involves us with it, right? I love praying. And oh, you guys have a praying church. I love that. And then if somebody wants to argue about it, like, hey, you know, what does your church say or what does your pastor say or what, you know, how do you interpret the Bible concerning homosexuality? I usually, usually respond with this. That's a great question. Why are you asking? Some people really want to know and if they really want to know, share what the Bible says concerning that. There's a few verses that, that talk about that, but don't just stop there. Share what God says about all sexuality and then share how you struggle with your sexual desires and how you have to constantly lay them before the Lord. But if they say, yeah, well, you know, I know what the Bible says. The word homosexuality wasn't even introduced into the Bible until 1946 and they're gonna say, all this other stuff, then you can just say, hey, I see that you know the word of God. That's awesome. What are your thoughts about Jesus? What are your thoughts about Jesus? And see what they say. And then from that, you can have more conversations about Jesus. But don't argue scripture over them. I'm telling you, they're gonna win every time concerning these verses that talk about homosexual behavior. Bring, keep bringing it back to Jesus. Just keep bringing it back to him. Remember, you want to hear their heart, not explain your own. The more they reveal about their beliefs, the deeper your questions can go. And trust God hears as you're praying and he's moving because you're praying. And then just keep, if they choose to continue to engage in life with you, just keep dropping nuggets of truth here and there. Don't, over, don't like get a bag of seed and there's their heart and be like, all right, you ready? Maybe one of those seeds is gonna take root, just a little seed here and a little seed there. And then gently ask the Lord to bring the water, but if he chooses you to water that as well, use one of those little flower pot watering things, not a fire hose. <laughs> the fire hose is gonna wash away the seed, little by little, and it's okay to leave them hanging. Let them go home questioning what you shared about. Then they'll wanna come back for more conversation. And that's not just people from the LGBT community, that's anybody that we're ministering to. But remember, the world and their feelings, understandably, are deceiving them. So we give them truth with grace. 
because truth is love. Because if we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, as we learn a description of what love is and how it looks out, plays out actively, it tells us that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So when we meet someone where they are and we uh, engage in their preferences of their identity to make them feel better, we don't wanna hurt them and be like, okay, well, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, but I can't bring them back to the truth. Lies lead to death, truth leads to life, even if the truth is hard. And we minister to people, we're a good listener, we're available, we're humble, we don't fix people, God does. We just engage in life with people, whether they come to a place of redemption or not. And I'll end with this. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, is when uh, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him what he could do to be saved. So Jesus is telling him, you know, follow, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. Um, This guy was actually in deception because he said, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. (laughs) No, you haven't. (laughs) But then Jesus, it says, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell all you have, give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven and this is the big part, and come, take up the cross and follow me. But rich dude was sad at this word and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus knew he was gonna walk away but we see in this part of the text that Jesus loved him anyway. Can we? Can we? Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So the only answer to LGBT ideology is biblical theology. It's the truth. Truth and love are powerful when they are knit together for Christ's sake. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. John the Baptist, when Jesus was coming on on the scene, says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you know what the sin of the world is? It's unbelief, and we, will, we were all there once, but praise God, he brought us to a place of believing him, and if you haven't, you can do that today. It's a free gift. You just turn to the Lord and say, God, I am a sinner, and I need you. Will you come and be with me? Will you save me? And that's it. And if that's something that you need today, please don't leave without talking to somebody. Please. The Lord loves you, and he loves you right where you are. So we thank you for this time together, Lord. Um, Do with it what you will. We thank you, we thank you that you are a God of truth and your truth never changes. We thank you that your word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven as you tell us in Psalm 119. So may we live trusting that and walking that out for all the days of our life, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.